Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and your host for the program, which today is being brought to you by DraftKings. You know, basketball season won't be around forever, so get in on all of the action now with DraftKings. They're the leader in one-day fantasy sports. DraftKings is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when you use the code TBPN during your sign-up. Now, playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. Just pick your lineup, stand over the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. And you can feel the sweat like never before because every dunk, every steal, every assist means so much more with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy lineup. Now, baseball fans, you may have missed out on season-long fantasy, so now is the time to get in on all of the daily fantasy action where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players, so what are you waiting for? Head to the app now. Download the DraftKings app now and use code TBPN during your sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's code TBPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit is required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Pretty straightforward show for you today as the Grizzlies wrap up a Three-game homestand in disappointing fashion against the Dallas Mavericks, and now they go away for seven games starting Friday night at the United Center against the Chicago Bulls. And so, logically then, our friend of the program is their television voice, Adam Amin, longtime friend of mine uh, from back in the days when he was a student at Valparaiso, and we, uh, we were able to connect over a website called Call of the Game for aspiring broadcasters, and uh, he will tell us what's going on with the Chicago Bulls particularly what's going on with Billy Donovan and Laurie Markkinen, who has now been moved to the bench, and how the team looks now with the acquisition of Daniel Tice and also Nick Vucevic. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Adam Amin will be our friend of the program. Of course, we'll have uh, That Was the Week That Was. And uh, for Petey's points today, we're going to keep it really, really simple. Uh, this is being recorded the morning after the disappointing loss to Dallas. So we're going to keep this, <laughs> we're gonna keep this show as simple as possible. And the only Petey's point today, uh, I'm going to talk about the play-in tournament because that appears to be where the Grizzlies are headed at this moment. So we'll talk about that. That's what we have going on today's show as the Grizzlies get ready to go out on the road. So without further ado, let's get to That Was the Week That Was. Grizzlies have played two times since our last visit, and on Monday night they hosted the Chicago Bulls. And uh, Grizzlies did get themselves in a bit of trouble. They were down early nine to the Chicago Bulls. Grizzlies end up winning this game 101 to 90. And it was the Grizzlies defense in the fourth quarter that totally suffocated Chicago. And Chicago's offense never really got on track. Uh, Grizzlies outscored them in the fourth period 31 to 16. John Morant with his 10th double-double of the year, 13 points and 10 assists for him. Jonas Valanciunas, ho-hum, another double-double, 26 and 14 for him with three blocked shots. Uh, for Chicago, Nick Vucevic comes up with a double-double, 17 points and 10 rebounds. Zach Levine, Grizzlies did a good job against him, uh, holding Levine to just 21 points on 5 of 14 shooting, 2 of 8 from downtown. Levine did shoot 11 of Chicago's 17 free throws in the game. He made 9 of them. But the Grizzlies never really let him get totally out of control, and Levine actually did more damage as a ball handler and playmaker as he recorded nine assists in the game. 
The guy who was a problem for the Grizzlies early and who had one of his better games of the season with that was Thaddeus Young. He went for 20 points in just under 20 minutes. A highly efficient night for Thad Young, 10 of 15 from the floor in the basketball game. But the Grizzlies have four of their five starters in double figures, led by Valanchunas with 26. That's a game-high total. Uh, Dylan Brooks, another solid game, 17 points and seven rebounds. And Kyle Anderson, who had been averaging 14 or so points over the prior seven games, only with five points in this game, but it was a full Kyle experience. Only had five points, but he goes five points, five boards, six assists, four steals, and a block shot in 29 minutes of play. Grizzlies end up holding the Bulls to fewer than 100 points, obviously, and just below 42% from the floor. One of the things that has bothered the Grizzlies this year has been the three-point disparity. Now, they did not shoot the three ball very well against Chicago, made only 9 of 28 for 32%. That, that's well below their normal performance from three. But Chicago made just 5 of 31 for 16%. And even more to the point, their bench went 0 for 12 from three. So Chicago's bench did not provide them with any pop at all, particularly from the three-point line. Daniel Tice, the only bench player for the Bulls to hit double figures, he had 18. And he was 0 for 3 from 3, but 8 of 9 inside the arc. So the Grizzlies, for just the second time this season, they win a game when they're trailing through three quarters. They were down, and uh, by outscoring the Bulls 31-16, they get the win 101-290 over the Chicago Bulls. Grizzlies with another 60 point paint effort uh and they go on to win at 101 to 90 grizzlies move to two games above 500 at 27 and 25 and then they look forward to a wednesday night tilt with the dallas mavericks mavericks came into the game wednesday night a game and a half clear of the grizzlies for the seventh seed in the western conference of course seeds seven through ten will be involved in the playing tournament we'll talk about that in a few moments on pd's points uh, this was a ball game where the grizzlies Played, certainly played well enough to win. And if not for a couple of late missed free throws by Grayson Allen, probably would have won this basketball game. But it took a miraculous shot by Luka Doncic, a leaning three that was a circus shot. You could classify it as a desperation heave for probably 99% of the NBA population. For Luka Doncic, it's just another day at the office. Rick Carlisle, the coach of the Dallas Mavericks, was saying after the game he's lost thousands of dollars to Luka Doncic because Luka will bet him, can I make this shot? If I if I make this shot, do we end practice early? Things like that. And uh, Rick Carlisle said, you know what, I've, I've learned my lesson. I do not bet him anymore when uh, he tries to make some of these crazy shots. Like I said, Grizzlies played well enough to win this game. Uh, you only turn it over seven times. You shoot 47%. You make 13 threes. You would imagine that you're probably going to win the basketball game. But uh, Grizzlies had a lead heading into the fourth quarter. Um, they were up by six points into the final frame. Dallas outscores them 31-24. And again, Doncic goes to the free throw line, and he makes one of two. Grayson Allen gets the rebound. Grizzlies are leading by two. All Grayson Allen has to do with 2.2 seconds left is go to the free throw line at the other end, make two, ball game over. Uh, it's a four-point game with 2.2, and unless you uh, foul Luka Doncic on a three, you're going to walk out of here with a win. And the Grizzlies would have closed the gap on the seventh seed to just a half game between themselves and Dallas and also would have kept alive the hope for a tiebreaker. But Grayson Allen was three for three from the line to that point, 91% basically for the season, and he misses both. That is as improbable 
an outcome as you could possibly imagine. There, there's no way. I mean, when Grayson stepped to the line, I, I figured the game was over. I, I really and truly believe that Grayson would make both of those free throws. Parenthetically, to those of you who wanted to opine on Twitter that I somehow jinxed Grayson Allen because I mentioned he was 3-for-3 three three and a 91% free throw shooter, come on. This, this whole announcer jinx thing is just insane. My job is to provide facts, to provide figures, to provide context for the action that's unfolding on the floor. It's my responsibility to tell you how good or not good a particular free throw shooter is in that situation. That's providing context to what's going on on the floor. So if, if you want to believe in jinxes, that's your own business, but uh, it's not mine. I mean, it's like, it's like the whole baseball thing. If you're a baseball announcer, do you quit talking about the potential no-hitter just because of some, some silly superstition? No. If somebody's joining the game late, you need to tell them what's going on with the game. So that's our job. Our job is to provide context. It's, it's to provide statistics. Don't give me this jinx stuff. I, I don't like it. I think, I think it's silly, quite frankly. But in any event, maybe I'm a little salty because the Grizzlies should have won this game. Uh, they lose it, however, 114 to 113. They fall to 27 and 26 on the season. Mavericks improved to 30 and 24 on the season. And every bit as important as the win is the fact that Dallas now owns the tiebreaker over the Grizzlies. Will this become important? It very well could be when we get to the play-in tournament which is the subject of today's Petey's Points. For those of you who are unfamiliar with how the play-in system works, it's different from last year. Last year, seven played or eight played nine, and uh, eight had to win just once. Nine had to win twice in head-to-head competition for nine to jump into the eighth spot. This year, the play-in tournament has been expanded and will encompass teams in seeds seven all the way through 10. And here's how it will work. And we'll work with the standings as they are at this moment, which is Dallas in seventh, Grizzlies in eighth, Golden State in ninth, San Antonio in 10th. New Orleans right now is the 11th seed, but they're two games behind San Antonio. And with New Orleans' inability to defend anybody, I I seriously doubt that the uh, seven through 10 seeds are going to change. Now, it is possible that Dallas could leapfrog Portland. Portland is in sixth, but there's only a game separating those two teams. In any event, let's go with the seedings as they are right now. Dallas as the seventh seed would host the Grizzlies in the first play-in game. The winner of that game automatically becomes the seventh seed. So whether you're seven or eight, it doesn't really matter. You win once and you are in the playoffs as the seventh seed. Uh, If you lose the 7-8 game, so let's say the Grizzlies go to Dallas, they lose the game. Well, Golden State at this point would host San Antonio. Let's assume that Golden State, for example, were to win and the Grizzlies were to lose their game. That means Golden State and Memphis then play to see who will be the eighth seed. The loser of the 9-10 game is eliminated. So that's how the play-in system is going to work this year. I know that Mark Cuban isn't a real fan of it. Uh, I talked to Adam Amin about it in our Friend of the Program segment, which is coming up in a little bit. Luka Doncic has been very critical of it as well to say, look, we play 72 games to make one of the top eight seeds, and and, and now you're telling us that we still have to win more games. 
Uh, Mark Cuban has come out against it with, with the compression of the schedule and the potential for injury and the fact that you're trying to rest players before you get into the playoffs, uh, the, the full playoffs, not the play-in situation. A lot of discussion about this, but the fact of the matter is the Board of Governors voted unanimously to put this in, and, and Mark Cuban is on the Board of Governors, and, and now he's having a little bit of buyer's remorse. So in any event, that's the way that it works. Again, seven hosts number eight, nine hosts number ten. The winner of the 7-8 game becomes the 7 seed. The loser of the 7-8 game has to beat the winner of the 9-10 game to stay in the playoffs. So, you know, again, you're in a situation now where if you're the Grizzlies, you could be in in the 8th seeded position. And that's not even given right now because Golden State is only a game behind the Grizzlies. San Antonio is also a game behind the Grizzlies. But the Grizzlies do have the tiebreaker with San Antonio. And oh, by the way, the Grizzlies play Golden State to end the season. And uh, that series is 1-1. So there's a lot of jockeying for position right now. The loss to Dallas really hurts because it would have closed the gap to only a half game between those two teams, would have kept hopes for a tiebreaker with Dallas alive before the Grizzlies and Dallas meet on May 11th. A lot going on here, and that makes the upcoming road trip incredibly important for the Memphis Grizzlies. And it is not going to be an easy road trip because you see the Clippers, you see Denver twice, you see Portland twice, you see Milwaukee. Uh, this this is this is not a cakewalk by any stretch. However, the Grizzlies have done a really good job of of being a, a good basketball team on the road. It's going to be intriguing to see what happens to the Denver Nuggets without Jamal Murray. So as you go into this road trip. Seven-game road trip, longest of the Memphis era. Two back-to-backs, one at the front end with uh, Milwaukee, uh, with Chicago first and then Milwaukee, and then a Portland-Denver back-to-back, which is without a doubt the worst back-to-back in the NBA because you're flying from the Pacific time zone to Denver in the mountain time zone. It's a long flight. You lose an hour, and both of those are really, really good teams. So uh, is it – overstatement to say that this road trip is make or break for the Grizzlies not by much honestly I mean this is this is a game that will determine where the Grizzlies are going to end up with their seeding and like I said unless New Orleans makes some incredible run or the Grizzlies just fall in an elevator shaft I I can't see the Grizzlies falling out of the top 10 so they would be involved in the play-in tournament in some form or fashion the question is where would they play? Who would they play? And they would do they need to win once or do they need to win twice to get to the postseason? Those are the questions on the table. And so that is today's edition of Petey's Points as we talk about the play-in tournament because it certainly appears to be the Grizzlies' destiny. On the other hand, the Grizzlies are two and a half behind Portland. <laughs> so you you know, you win you win a couple games from Portland in sixth, and and now Is there any possibility the Grizzlies get to six and avoid the play-in? I don't know. If they get really hot, who knows? I mean, that's what's so intriguing about this. And like I said, I know Mark Cuban, Luka Doncic, and others have been critical of of the play-in situation, but it it does add a little bit more spice to the playoff race because you're involving a, a few more teams who ordinarily would not be involved in it. So that's it for today's edition of Petey's Points on this episode 29 of the Grizz Weekly Grind, which today is being brought to you by the Youth Athletic Foundation. Its mission is to assist student-athletes in developing a strong work ethic through discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Their goal is to help youngsters understand the importance of working hard to be the best they can be, whether it's that's on the court, in the classroom, or in the community. The YAF has donated millions of dollars to charities, 
families, local high schools, and youth sports programs. Mike Miller and his group do a fantastic job supporting the Youth Athletic Foundation, and we would invite you to do the same as well. Well, that brings us to today's friend of the program, and he is a good friend of mine. His name is Adam Amin. If you have not seen him somewhere on television, you simply have not been paying attention. Uh, formerly with ESPN, he called the uh, Women's Final Four for ESPN, Major League Baseball as well, did some NBA for ESPN. He has since moved to the Fox National Network, where you can see him doing the NFL on Fox, Major League Baseball on Fox. And this year is his first year as the television voice of the Chicago Bulls, following in the footsteps of the Hall of Famer Neil Funk. Uh, Adam Amin is a son of Chicago, went to Valparaiso, first came across him when he was a student at Valparaiso in Indiana. There was a website back in the day called Call of the Game with a very active bulletin board. Remember, that was pre-Twitter. We actually had internet bulletin boards, and uh, broadcasters would uh, trade tips and uh, contacts and job leads and things like that. And uh, Adam Amin went on from Valparaiso. He uh, did some minor league baseball before hooking on with ESPN, and, and he has been sensational in every role that, uh, that he has had. And uh, thrilled to have him on to talk about the Chicago Bulls and what's going on with Billy Donovan and uh, the career arc of Laurie Markkinen and the recent deals and uh, where the Chicago Bulls are headed. That's all by way of preview of Friday night's game when the Grizzlies go to the United Center to take on the Chicago Bulls. So here he is, the friend of the program for episode 29, Adam Amin. Adam Grizzlies and Bulls just played. Grizzlies got the win. Bulls faded in the fourth quarter. A big trade with Vucevic and Tice and Brown all coming over, yet it hasn't translated into wins just yet. Is it a problem of integration for this basketball team yet, or or, or what's the state of the Bulls right now? Yeah, I think it, it's a little bit of an integration issue, but I think role definition is really important in the NBA, and I think you've seen that with successful teams. I think everybody kind of figures out what they're – defined role is and what the scope of their roles can be in different situations. And I don't think this team has figured that out just yet. I think they understand the skill set that a guy like Vucevic has, what the skill set of Troy Brown is, what the skill set of Daniel Tice is, in particular on the offensive end. We know what he can do defensively, and he's been very important in that in that uh, that scheme that the Bulls are trying to run right now. But offensively, I think it's still – a matter of feel. And I, and I said for the first couple of months of the season that Zach Levine's biggest evolution as a really good player into now an all-star is his feel for the game. We know he's an elite scorer, an elite shot maker, but when do I need to be passive? When do I need to be aggressive? What portions of the game do I need to get other people involved? What portions of the game do, am I starting to sense that this is the hot hand? All right, this is the guy we need to start running plays for. And beyond that, I still think the point guard issue is, is, is going to be a looming factor for a while until it gets addressed. And then that's fine. If that's, you know, I, th I think a lot of steps have been taken in this rebuild process, a lot of exceptionally positive steps. While it hasn't all come together, together just yet, I still feel like the steps were the right ones. I just think people want it to happen right away and come, come together right now after, what, 10 games of, of everybody playing together, and that just hasn't been the case. Yeah, Arturis Karnisovic takes over the basketball operations role for the Chicago Bulls, and I, I think he's been exceptional. 
were people surprised at maybe how bold a move he made at the trade deadline? I think so. I was. I know I was, and I would imagine a lot of people were, because this was a team that that looked like it had a lot of good pieces, and they figured, all right, well, if it's if it's not this year, they were I think what nineteen and twenty four at the trade deadline, so it's not a bad record. It's certainly an improvement on where they had been prior. So I was a little bit surprised. I thought the Bulls were going to stand pat. I think a lot of people did, and to see how aggressive he was in bringing in another All Star, and I, and I think that was going to have to take place at some point. You're going to have to bring in that caliber of a player, that caliber or similar to, to, to eventually draw enough attention to your organization to say that might be a viable free agent destination, or I actually might want to go play with those guys or whatever it may be. That's the mentality of players. And we see that in Brooklyn, Los Angeles right now. I want to play for winning teams because my time is limited. I want to have a championship. I want to have an opportunity to play in the playoffs. So uh, the fact that that step was taken as quickly as it was, was a little bit surprising. But I think in the long term, based on, I mean, you said it, Arturis Karnaschovas is a very well-respected guy whose work in Denver is now really coming to fruition. So uh, I think a lot of people understand that he knows what he's doing. Uh, same thing with Mark Eversley, who oversaw you know, a lot of the process in Philly or helped oversee a lot of the process in Philadelphia. So uh, I, I was a little surprised it happened this fast, but in the overarching story of all of this, I don't think it will be that much of a shock that he was aggressive to try to make this a viable option to, uh, to have players look at and decide, yeah, eventually I want to come to Chicago again. Yeah, I mean, Chicago is a great city, so from that aspect, it's, it's a great free agent destination. But if you have a winning basketball team, and certainly the addition of Billy Donovan, I think that was a, a home run hire for the Bulls. I know that you haven't been able to be around physically as none of us have been able to be around our teams and our coaching staffs, but what have you been able to pick up about Billy Donovan and his influence on this basketball team and on this franchise? Yeah, I think uh, inter interacting with him over the years when he was in Oklahoma city and now getting a chance to, you know, we, we chat obviously, you know, once in a while uh, just individually and, and off the record. So we, we get some opportunities and he's very candid He's very honest. He, he seems very earnest. Like the things that he says, you you don't feel come from a place of, uh, you know, of being contrived. It feels genuine. I think he has a very high basketball IQ. I don't think there's anything, anybody that would dispute that. And seeing what he did in Oklahoma City in particular last season with a very young roster with obviously a veteran point guard. And that's that's certainly something that he's, he's still seeking as well in this organization is, uh, a Chris Paul type of player. Look at the impact he's made in Phoenix this year. But having as young of a roster as he did and have them essentially overachieve as much as they did, uh, I think opens up eyes. I think look at Lou Dort scored 40 plus the other night. Like this is a guy who was growing under the tutelage of Billy Donovan. So I think that's what this organization is hoping for in terms of individual successes. Let's take guys that clearly are, are talented. Everybody who comes to this league has some level of talent, obviously. Uh, they're one of the best in the world doing this. Let's take somebody like that and figure out what what's the next step to help unlock that. And no matter what happens this year, and obviously it's it's not a great stretch currently, but no matter what happens this year, at the end of this season, I'll look back and think, well, Zach Levine took that next step. And Billy Donovan, I think, was the biggest reason for that. And the respect that he commands, even through some tumult and even through guys' roles changing, Lowry Markin and Kobe White, moving from the starting lineup to the bench. Uh, I think part of the reason that they've been so accepting of it and understanding of it is because the, the respect that they have for Billy Donovan and his, and his work with younger players in particular. 
We're visiting with Adam Amin. You can see him as the television voice of the Chicago Bulls. You can also see him on Fox as one of the NFL play-by-play voices and also Major League Baseball play-by-play voices on Fox. He joins us now in our Friends of the Program segment on the Grizz Weekly Grind. You had mentioned Laurie Markkinen going to the bench, and one of the most shocking things that I saw in the game between Memphis and Chicago was that Markkinen was totally a non-factor. And having seen him be a dynamic scorer, and at least in one game, totally wrecked the Grizzlies with his three-point shooting, it was shocking for me to see uh, how he played in, in the, in the Memphis game, that is obviously an incredibly small sample size, but since going to the bench, how has that affected his game? Uh, I think that's another feel thing that we're talking about, right? I think Lowry had some stretches and, and he's been in and out of the lineup. He had a calf issue. Then he was under, under COVID protocols. Uh, then he had a shoulder issue fairly soon after he returned to the lineup. So he's missed really large chunks of time. And I think in that midst, he's looked around and the makeup of the roster and the style of play has shifted dramatically. And he's had to play multiple roles over the course of just a four-year career. He's, he's been a, a strictly a three-point shooter in his first couple of years. Then he became almost strictly a post-up guy for a little while. And now we're starting to see you know, that there is a varied skill set there, but I don't think he's really found his footing in one area or another. And the move to the bench, I think when you, you're just going to have your minutes cut down, you go from playing maybe 25 minutes a night to 16 to 18 minutes a night. And that is a significant difference for a shot maker, for a guy who's in his career at various points. Remember Lowry was the fastest in NBA history to 103 pointers, took him 41 games to get there. So he, he's had a lot of weight put on him and a lot of expectation in a, in a lot of different spots. Now he's a restricted free agent after this year. And I think he's a very heady guy. I think he's very conscientious. I think he cares deeply about what he's doing. I think he's a very, very intent family man and wants to take care of his family. And I think a lot of players, when they get to around this time of their young careers and they're looking for that second contract, uh, I think that can affect them a little bit. And when in the midst of all of that, you have your role shifted or you have how you play your style of play shifted a little bit and you're asked to do a lot of different things in a short amount of time. I think that can affect you. I think that's been the case with Lowry this year and it's more circumstantial than it is. I think an individual indictment of him or his capabilities or his abilities as a player, but I I don't think he's really found his footing. Not all of that is his fault, but again, he's a talented player who has, has a lot of ability that he doesn't always recognize on the floor. He's a very good post-up player. Uh, I think better than than he would give himself credit for, maybe recognize immediately, especially as a seven footer who's been shifted to a four or a three at various times. He's played three, four and five this year. So I, I just don't think he's really found his footing yet, but he's shown the ability to play and show show off a skill set in each of those positions. So to put it all together would be great. I just don't know how it's going to happen in just short, you know, the, the next 19 games. I don't know how it takes place, but hopefully it does in some capacity. Well, you have 19 games remaining, and the Bulls solidly in position to be part of the play-in tournament. And we got the comments yesterday from Mark Cuban saying this is a tremendous mistake because we're going to be playing meaningful basketball so deep into the season. The schedule is so compressed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, despite the fact that Mark Cuban, along with the rest of the Board of Governors, voted unanimously to have this 7-10 through play-in tournament, now he's having second thoughts about it. Sure. Do you, do you have any any thoughts about it, uh, having a play-in tournament, rather than just saying, look, the top eight are in and everybody else is out? 
Listen, Doncic made the same point, and I get it. It's not a the, the point is not wrong. The argument is not wrong by any means. Yeah, you play 72 games to get into the playoffs and then you lose two and you're out. Like, yeah, of course, that's that sounds bad. When you when you frame it that way, it sounds bad. Play 162 games in Major League Baseball, and if you have to play 163 in a tie break to make the playoffs, yeah, it seems pretty bad. But if you win the game and you're in, then, then nobody gives that a second thought because your goal was accomplished. So uh, I agree with, with, with you on that, Pete. If you've all voted for it, because there's money involved, there's good revenue involved, there's great TV ratings involved. You guys were part of that last year, and that that made a lot of noise. Like, that was a great Portland-Memphis game, a great game. And I get that you play all these games to, to enter into the, the actual playoffs, but then vote on that and say that's how we – just because it's a compacted schedule and just because there's an opportunity for revenue in a, in a lost season, is a, you know, I'm using quotes around that, then – doesn't mean you have to take that path, but if you voted on it and fans are excited about it and you've expanded the playoffs and that feels makes a lot of, lot more fans and teams and players and coaches feel like that they have a chance to be there, then you have to accept the reality that you may not be there at the end of it. So uh, I, if you ask me, I don't mind the playing tournament. I don't prefer it. I mean, I like the idea. Same thing in baseball. I like I like a shortened playoff. I don't love the expanded major league playoff, but I like the idea that fans are involved and more teams can feel like they're a part of the whole process. And that's fun. And I think that is a good thing. But if you told me tomorrow we're not doing the play anymore, it's top eight. All right, fine. Top eight. Let's try to get into the top eight if you're any team that's trying to make the playoffs at that point. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. It is good to have the play-in tournament in that you involve a couple of more teams who ordinarily would not be involved. So there are going to be four more fan bases across the league that are invested in what's going to happen. But uh, yeah, apparently some buyer's remorse in Dallas, which, which is, which is kind of interesting. The play-in tournament, uh, kind of the, um, kind of the offspring of this COVID era. Uh, I'm doing games remotely. You've been doing games remotely and you do it across multiple sports. Uh, what has it been like for you to, to sit in the condo in Chicago and, and, and be doing some of these games remotely and, um, and working from studios when the bulls are on the road? Yeah, it's been, uh, I tried to do it out of here, out of this, out of my apartment and the internet is not good enough for that. So, uh, I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to move to a couple different studios around Chicago and, and all close by. That's a nice thing, you know, being able to just drive, you know, seven minutes, uh, you know, down the street and walk into a studio and be by yourself and be able to call a game. But the, the biggest thing I've noticed, and Pete, I know you're a baseball guy too. The, the toughest thing for me has been baseball. Uh, I think that's the hardest sport to do off strictly off of monitors. Cause uh, the way I've described it to people is you're calling a three dimensional sport that you're used to seeing in all three dimensions. And now suddenly you're only looking at it in two and trying to translate all of those extra elements of that extra dimension through a screen and then translate that in your brain to a three-dimensional sport and be able to still call it properly. And it's, it's, it's hard. Again, it's not manual labor work, but it's, it's hard trying to translate that a little bit. And you don't have the same field of view that you do at the ballpark. You see so much, the feet, your, your scope is so wide at the ballpark. And there's so many little things in baseball that are seen in that wide periphery that, you know, you miss out on a lot in, in, in the current state when you're not at the ballpark. Now, we'll be going back at some point this summer. We'll start traveling again for, for Fox, for baseball. 
and that'll be great. And it'll be nice to be in the park and hear some fans and, and hopefully everybody is safe in the, in the process as most people have been, but it, it's not easy to try to translate that basketball. I can live with because it's a, it's mostly two dimensions. It's this way. It's that way. And it, it's about it. Like the height of the ball isn't particularly important in basketball, the way it is in baseball to try to judge whether balls, you know, going to go over the left field fence or if it's going to be a pop fly to the shortstop, it's, it's very difficult to translate those things, but And that's, that's the mechanical of it in terms of the personal, it's hard to recreate, you know, like to, to, it's hard to recreate being there when you're not there and you miss fans, you miss the chatter, uh, you miss the courtside conversations between players and coaches and reps. And there's a color that, that is missing. And I think a lot of us would say that now I understand the conveniences I, I love the conveniences, love not love, love avoiding the process of traveling, love traveling, love going to Memphis, love going down to Gus's with you and, and, and our friend Megan and, and being able to enjoy some food and all that. But I hate the process of traveling. So that part's great. Not having to worry about that, but you miss so much. And, and I'm, I'm aching for that color to, to kind of be back in our, in our professional lives again, and hopefully sooner rather than later. I was talking with Mike Breen and one of the things that he told me, is that he now realizes how much he looked off the ball in yeah, basketball and to much. just to just pick up this periphery. And, and I, I totally get your point about about baseball. I do a little bit of minor league baseball here in Memphis on radio when a ball goes in play. And if you only have a monitor and depending on how many views a director is giving you or, or if you have a, 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 a four box monitor with with four different angles, when the ball goes in play and you've got runners on base, I mean, we're, you know, and, and if you if you are limited in your camera angles, I mean, that that's got to be virtually impossible to do. Um, yeah. Last that's thing. Tough. Yeah. Last thing for you. Uh, you have been incredibly blessed. A, you're incredibly talented. B, you're an incredibly great guy, too. But you've also been incredibly blessed now to be calling the games for your hometown team, a team that you grew up cheering for in the Chicago Bulls. How gratifying was that to get the call from the Bulls to say you're going to succeed Neil Funk as a television voice of, of the Chicago Bulls, a, a team that you grew up cheering for? It's down the street, like literally that direction from my apartment. It's about a mile and a half. And my formative years as an NBA fan, I mean, I mean, you know, you knew this about me before I started working for the Bulls. I was fortunate enough to do, you know, a lot of playoff games and, and TV and radio for ESPN. And I, I loved it. And my first ESPN NBA game was a Bulls game. So I got thrown right in at the United Center. And I was like, this is what it could be like someday. Hopefully I'll get to do more of these from here. And, and who would have thought that this would have been the case. But I, I grew up as a diehard NBA fan and still am to this day. It's, it's probably the sport that I'm most connected with and waking up on Christmas to watch Marv and, and Walton and Matt Gokas and, you know, Mike Fratello and, and Tom Hammond and these, these great broadcast voices from the nineties that kind of define an era. You remember Tom Hammond calling, you know, the Reggie Miller eight point stretch. You remember Marv Albert, saying spectacular in that very distinct cadence when Jordan, you know, has that layup. You remember these moments from that period. And that was, those were my formative years as an NBA fan and to do it in a city, to be that in a city that had such success, it's going to formulate very strong connectivity to the sport and to that team and to that franchise. So from to, to finally have it kind of come full circle to go from my parents' basement sitting on the floor, watching these games to now being court, you know, not courtside just yet, but being, you know, at the United Center, hearing that same intro I grew up, you know, watching on TV for for how many years of my life, 
and then being the next voice that people hear on TV after that, it's, it's a big deal, man. There's a lot of connectivity here and, and I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of, of what's, uh, again, hopefully going to be a very, you know, like a cornerstone, fran- a cornerstone franchise again. And it, ha- it has been for a long time. Pete, I would ask you, want to ask you something real quick. I, we were talking about the play-in tournament and I know Memphis being a part of the play-in game and I know they didn't make it to the, to the playoffs, but did, did that feel like a little bit of a boost for like, for a young team? It, it, Cause I think that's what maybe people are looking at now with, you know, some, some struggles lately, only 20 games or whatever it is left to go. You think, all right, you still want to make it. You still want to be involved in a, in a game or two like that. Did the, how did that affect Memphis? You think last year in the bubble and now going forward into this year? It was a positive. Uh, one of the things that the Grizzlies basketball operations department was very adamant about is we want to be playing meaningful basketball. So it was meaningful basketball in the bubble, even though they didn't play particularly well, but it was meaningful basketball that it got them into the play-in situation. And that's the same thing they're looking at. The Grizzlies were a team that everybody had, yeah, no, they're not going to win that many games. They're not going to be even within shouting distance of the playoffs. And, and Taylor Jenkins did a remarkable job. John Morant had a sensational rookie season. And so it did provide a boost for them to get there. It was disappointing because if the season had ended when it was suspended, Grizzlies would have been in as, as an eight right. seed. And, and they, they lose their seeding. They drop down because of, because of the fact they couldn't close out games in, in the bubble for whatever reason. And Jaron Jackson Jr. gets injured. But still, you had an opportunity to make the playoffs. And for that young team, and it is, here's a nugget for you. The Grizzlies are the only team in the league with an active roster and there's nobody older than 28 Yeah, <laughs> to give you an idea of just how young this team is. So yes, to answer your question, it, it was a boost for the organization, a boost for the team and an opportunity to say, yeah, we belong now. And, and we have an opportunity to play for something greater, which is, which is obviously everybody's goal. Yeah. I, I was curious about that just because I think this is an organization in its current iteration and its current makeup, the same thing, a lot of youth, you know, certainly some veterans have been added, which is great, but, there are a lot of young pieces to this team, and I think that's kind of the same mindset. You want to be playing more meaningful basketball, certainly, than they have the last four seasons here in Chicago. Adam, thanks so much for the time. Uh, good luck tonight with your game, and uh, it'll be Grizzlies and Bulls again on Friday night. Sounds like a plan, my friend. I appreciate you, buddy. So there you have it, the state of the Chicago Bulls from the guy who calls their games on NBC Sports Chicago, Adam Amin. Well, Today's episode 29 of the Grizz Weekly Grind has been brought to you by Garner Framing Company. They ask if there was one thing that you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? Well, if that answer is yes, here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today, so don't delay. Join the movement. Become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company. They've been serving Memphis for 70 years. They're a proud supporter of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. And right now they're doing their framing consultations by appointment at 901-685-7796. Please tell Chris Garner that you heard about Garner Framing Company through the Grizz Weekly Grind. That does it for this edition, episode 29 of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Grizz won't be home for two weeks They're not home until April the 28th when they take on the Portland Trail Blazers. In the meantime, Grizzlies, a vital seven-game road trip. We'll have all the stuff about that road trip in future episodes of the Grizz Weekly Grind. We thank Adam Amin 
for dropping by. As our friend of the program, our thanks to DraftKings, the Youth Athletic Foundation, and to Garner Framing for their generous support of the Grizz Weekly Grind. I'm Pete Pratica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.